Happy Saturday evening. Hope everybody had a great Saturday. And for those of you who keep Saturday as the Sabbath, hope you had a great Sabbath. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading 1 John 1 in the NLT. Yeah, I, I have bought 22 shrimp and I have killed 20 of them, but I have two left. And I think that the shrimp tub that I was trying to establish has turned a corner, which means I think the two that I have are not dying. And I know that I have two, although I think I see a baby shrimp um, swimming around the tank last night. I'm pretty sure of what I saw. So I bought this food and it's called Tropical and it's mini wafers mix. And it has something in it called Azazanthin. A-S-T-A-X-A-N-T-H-I-N. And I put, like I broke a wafer and put it at the bottom. I didn't put it in a dish or anything. And the two shrimp that I do have came right for it. Like this stuff works. Because I've tried like green beans and then I've tried this other food that I bought and the snails love it. I mean, snails, snails are like telepathic. They find food and then they tell all their friends because then they're all clumped together over that food. And the shrimp didn't seem to bother with anything that I put in there, but I see these wafers that I put in there. Some of the wafers are like this red color and some of them are like this green color. And they, both of the shrimp that I have are right on top of this food. So I've definitely picked a winner today. Um, So I'm happy. I'm not happy that I have two shrimp. I'm not happy that I've killed 20 shrimp. Um, But I I think I've turned a corner. But I'm going to let these guys go like for another two or three weeks. And any more shrimp that I buy, it's then I will then I will put them into the shrimp tub. And I was I don't know if I told the story. I was walking along somewhere outside. And I hadn't gone for a walk in a long time at lunchtime. And there was a tank sitting outside on the curb in the snow. And that's usually like if somebody puts it on the curb, it means they don't want it or they're throwing it out. And I carried it to my apartment. And it was, this is like a 40 gallons, the biggest tank I've ever had. And it was heavy. My arms were definitely getting a pump. And I was thinking, did God just give me a gift here? I don't think it has a leak. So I haven't actually cleaned the tank. I just kind of stuffed it in the corner. Because I think this thing would be very heavy and I would have to put it on some kind of wood table that can take it or I'd have to buy some kind of shelving from Canadian Tire or from Lowe's or from the Home Depot that can really take, you know, a tank like this. Like this this is a 40 gallon. Um, I think a 40 gallon, like 40 times 8 is about 320 pounds, 340 pounds. Of, of 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 weight so you got to make sure whenever you have a tank like this you got to have like a serious table or a serious wooden table or something that can take a lot of weight so i don't have any money right now but it was like i was just amazed like i'm thinking i've walked this way many times before there was no freaking aquarium sitting on the curb <laughs> it's like is this a gift from god is this the part where god says i will pour you out a blessing that you will not be able to receive it i couldn't believe it or is this the devil giving, um, trying to throw stuff in there? Because, you know, I'd like to get this going, but it costs money. It costs money to buy an air pump. It costs money to buy, like, you know, a plug that has, like, a timer or whatever so you can have the lights on and off. And, you know, it, it costs money to buy a filter. And it's like, oh, boy, you know, I've, 
it's already expensive expensive enough just to live and pay rent and you know make all your payments and now you know don't want to put everything on the card anyways i digress i helped some people move today uh the church that's that's been with us and i really was happy to do that they're fixing up their space and they're going to leave us tomorrow's the last day and i'm kind of sad i've made friends with some of the people there i've i've learned a lot from them and i guess when they leave then our church has to step up we got to step up and fill the gap you know they kind of came in gave us a bit of a reprieve took some of the pressure off us but now we got to step up and we got to go forward and we got to go up you know upwards and onwards to infinity and beyond let me pray Dear Lord, thank you for a happy day. Thank you, Lord, for hope. You are a living hope. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to know you better. We want to be relational people. We don't have to be right all the time, but we want to have the gospel. We want to follow your commandments. And your commandments are love God and love other people. Easy to say, hard to do, because sometimes we have to, we've got to put aside the pride and the ego, and nobody really wants to do that, Lord. And we're supposed to serve and sometimes we just don't feel like serving. We just want to hang back, do our own thing, have our own space. And you want us to get out there and live life and, and do relationships and walk in society. We may not be of the world, um, but we are in the world. We're not of the world. We're separate from the world, but it doesn't mean we're aloof. It doesn't mean we're snobbish. It means we're people who are not, whose values and whose philosophy and whose morality and whose spirituality is not based on religion, not based on beliefs, not based on temporal ideas, not based on man's philosophy that's like wind back and forth, but it's based on the eternal word of God, your word, sir, and also because of your son who died for us, who loved us, and who showed us the way and who fulfilled the law. So please help us to interpret your word as we read First John. Thank you. Amen. This is a short, um, short chapter, but, you know, it doesn't matter if it's short. It's God's word. It's poignant and it has a lot to say. So let's read it. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And, you know, I just I like this because it's just, you know, it's John and you know, people say that the person who's writing, writing John is somebody who is an older person. And I, they, I believe, and it's because of what I heard, that the same person who wrote the book of John is also the same person who's writing this John. So I heard that the book of John was that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And this book is sort of like that you continue to believe. So it's almost like John the Elder, who is you know, arguably John the Apostle is writing after a hard life to say, you know, this is the philosophy that I have believed and this is the philosophy I continue to believe and nothing has changed and continue to do what you're doing. Now, I thought I read that, you know, John went to Patmos, that he was um, the last apostle. He never, he wasn't killed. He actually died as an old man. But I thought that, you know, he went through Patmos, he was a prisoner there, and then he gets off Patmos, and then he writes 1 John. Even though Revelation is last in the Bible, and it's written by him, although revealed to him by Jesus, it's actually 1 John that's the actual book that's last written. This is like 90 AD or 95 AD or 100 AD, whatever it is. He's the last of the apostles, 
And I remember reading the phrase that said, John the Elder was arguably written by a man. He was so old, they had to carry him into the church. And this is like the church of Ephesus, you know? And there's another guy, I forgot who his, I forgot that he had an, he had an apprentice. I forgot the name of that person now, who was uh, his apprentice or his apostle. But I, I forgot, I forgot the name. I can't believe it. It's just gone out of my mind. And I know that when I try to search for something, it doesn't, sometimes the recall doesn't happen. So John is writing and telling us this. And that also, oh yeah, is that he met Jesus when he was 19 years old. So Jesus was his cousin because his, Jesus' mother and his mother were sisters. So Jesus is his first cousin. I mean, it says that he and his brother James were the sons of Zebedee and Jesus called them the sons of thunder because they had a temper. And I think there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus is somewhere and I think it's John says, hey master, shall we call fire down from heaven? And Jesus turns around and says to them, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what spirit, that's, a, that's like a devilish spirit. That's like a destructive spirit. Like they've rejected me, but we don't have to do that. They have, you know, Jesus was not happy about it, but he's, but, but he respects their choice. And he says, you don't know what spirit you have. And maybe that's why they were passionate. They were zealous. They believed. He believed Jesus. He, he said the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, you know, him and Peter raced to the tomb. And he says, the apostle whom Jesus loved beat Peter as if they have a little competition going on. But he obviously values Jesus. He believes that he's the son of God. He's his apostle. He's got both feet into this. You know, he lays his head on Jesus's uh, chest. You know, Master, tell us who is the one who's going to betray you. It's like he's sitting right next to Jesus. You know what I mean? So he really believes. He believes, just like just like Andrew believed, where he says, "I have found the Messiah. Come, come, Peter. Let me tell you." And it's like somewhere in the heart of these men, even though they were so different. You know, they were all so different. They had different backgrounds, different ways of life, that he was one of the closest apostles to Jesus. But they all believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And they saw him, and they walked with him, and they lived with him. And they, you know, they went places together. And he's saying this in chapter, in verse 1. We have looked upon Jesus. We've, we've, we've met him. We've, we've joked around with him. We've, you know, hobnobbed with him. You know, we've lived with him, we've dined with him, we've seen him. It's, he is who he says he is. It's not made up lies. And I also have a little note here, refusing docetism. So these different philosophies that started showing up, you know, uh, Gnosticism and docetism, I can't remember exactly what that is. But the point is that all these weird philosophies about Jesus, about reality started showing up. You know, all these weird ideas, all these weird philosophical ideas by people who said they were believers, but then they start thinking and they start thinking outside the box and thinking off the rails. And he says, look, I was with Jesus. I was an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus. You know, so you have to believe me. Boy, I sure got a lot out of verse one. Verse two, this one who is life itself was revealed to us. So he says Jesus is life. Jesus is not, ab not about life. Jesus is not a guru with some ideas. Jesus is life itself. Jesus is God himself in the flesh. Jesus is a living instantiation of the new covenant. Jesus is, is God's heart walking around with two, um, on two legs. 
You know, Jesus is, Jesus is God's heart. Jesus is God's heart that grew a body and came and walked around with us other human beings to say, your heavenly father loves you, he's forgiven you, and he wants you back. And I'm going to make that possible. I'm going to do the reconnecting. Even though God uses a cross to do it, it's like, this is counterintuitive. How does a cross and a man dying for our sins, how does that actually work? Sometimes I don't really get it. I feel like I get it and then it just sort of goes away from me, but it doesn't matter. He says, this one who is life itself. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the doorway to God. Jesus is that point. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to God our Father who is source and creator and recreator and fashioner of the universe. Jesus, a man, is also a son of God who never sinned. Jesus is the portal to God. And he says he's seen that portal. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Boy, that sounds very definitive. It doesn't sound arrogant. It sounds confident. He knows what he's seen. He hasn't imagined it. It's not made up fairy tales. It's not lies. You know, it's not wistful thinking. It says he was with the father and then he was revealed to us. Wow. Verse three, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we have heard from Jesus. Oh yeah, and it says he's telling us these things so that we can share the joy. Do you have a joy in your heart? Joy, joy, joy. Isn't there a song? Joy, joy, joy. you got a joy. You know God. You know God is real. It's not a joke. It's not, the Bible is not a collection of fables. It's software for the heart. It's your operating system. If your heart is not okay, you are not okay. And if you are not okay, you will never live up to your full potential. You will never truly be able to have good relationships. And whatever you were meant to do, whether you were meant to you know, build boats or ride boats or do race cars or be a bodybuilder or be a doctor or be in a marriage or not be in a marriage or whatever you are supposed to do in life, you will never be able to live up to your potential without God integrating and living inside of you because God is your operating system. This computer that I'm looking at, this Dell computer is 2014. And it's a little old, it's a little dusty, but it works. The operating system that it has works. Without that operating system, I can't look into a screen and see anything. It would just be a dark screen. Even if I turn the machine on, even if I have a screen, even if I plug it in, but there's no operating system, this Dell computer that I have, this 2014 dinosaur, that's still working, could not even work. I could not look into the screen and read from the NLT. If your operating system is not God, it's just you. It's just your resources. You're a finite being. You have your ups and your downs. One moment you're up, one moment you're down. Some people are very, um, you know, 
their moods don't change. Some people are back and forth. We all have days when we feel really close to God and we love everything and everything is good and roses are good and problems don't seem any. And then there are some days to me, I just feel dark. I just feel like I just want to withdraw. I, I can't even leave my house. If I didn't go to the gym in the morning, I'd just work from home and then I would just stay here. I'd never leave my home. You know, today I pushed myself out the door to go and move. It was cold and freezing. The 400 was blocked up. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go up there and then I'm going to see these people in the church. And hey, can I help you? And they're going to think, well, why are you here? And are you crazy? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you need to, you know, it's like I'm thinking I'm going to make a fool of myself. But if I don't leave the house, I'm just going to stay cloistered in the house. I pushed myself out of the house. I went to help them. They were happy to see me. There were tasks that I could do, you know, simple things, clean up you know, cleaning things, moving stuff around. I was happy to help. I felt good. I came outside at 2.30 and the sun was shining beautiful and bright. And I went to the aquarium store and I was like, thank you, God. I feel happy. I feel like I had a purpose today. I feel like I, I did something. I served somebody. I helped. I didn't just consume oxygen and produce carbon dioxide. <laughs> Without God, you can never live your life perfectly to the point. I know many people would shake their fist at what I'm saying and say, I don't need your God and your God is just a crutch. And I get that. I've met people like that. I'm kind of saddened. I've met people who are better looking than me, who are smarter than me, who can think so much better than I am, who seem like they got it all together. I've met so many people and they seem to be living their life without God, just fine and handy dandy. I can't understand it. And they don't seem to have any room for God and don't seem to need to. I just don't get it. My mother, my mother came up to me a long time ago and I know I've told the story so I sound like a broken record. She shook the Bible and by my head she said, without this, when, some, when I feel dark, when I feel down, I read this. I need this. And I thought to myself, she's a nice lady but she's completely out of her mind. I don't think my mother, who's dead in the grave since 2009, is out of her mind. Bible says she's gone to be with the Lord. I honestly don't know if she's conscious or not. And if she is conscious, does she know that I'm around? And I don't need to know, and I don't need to know what's under the hood. The Bible says she's gone to be with the Lord. I have to trust. God's got this. God has got this. You don't have to work it all out. Give it to God. He says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Joy, joy, joy. You don't have to figure it all out. God's got this and God's got you. Jesus died for you. He died for you so that you can trust in him and trust in him when he says, I and my father are one. And if you love me, you love my father. Wow, that is powerful, my friends. And that is what joy is. It's powerful. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. Praise God. God is light. You don't have to worry about all these dark conspiracy theories and all this stuff floating around. Hey, I love talking conspiracy theories. It's a lot of fun, but it's just talk. It's blah, 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 blah. I was looking at a video about Joe Rogan. Like, obviously, this guy's a good talker. People respect him. I mean, he's a powerful podcaster person. You know, he's somebody who can talk and he has a lot of followers and, and people like what he's saying. You know, 
And they talk about lots of stuff. They talk about facts. Some of the times people accuse him of pseudoscience. I don't know what to make of Joe Rogan. I just know that he he has an influence. He has a voice. And he's trying to figure things out. But God has got this. He says God is light. There's no darkness in him. God knows what is truth. God is truth. God separates truth from darkness. When you have God, you have truth. You may not understand all the information in the world. I can't really explain E equals MC squared, but God made it. God knows it. God uses it. You don't have to worry about it. God knows. There is no darkness in him at all. What's darkness? Darkness and death and decay. There is no God. So in 15 billion years or 25 billion years, the, the universe is going to get a heat death. Everything is going to lose energy and power and everything is going to be cold and dark. Is that hopeful? Is, th is there any light in that? Where's the joy in that? I see no joy in that. The, the sun will expand and swallow up Mercury and Venus. It will be a red giant and then it will contract into a white dwarf star and then it will burn out into a black hole and then Earth, unhindered by sun's gravity, will be left to wander the highways and byways of, of the universe forever. Man's works, man and his works totally gone and destroyed forever. Is there any hope in that? Is there any hope in that destiny? Zero hope in that destiny. That's not our destiny. Our destiny is to live with our God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. World without end, time without end. Somebody out there, give me an amen. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, he says in verse 6, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Live in the light, God's joy, God's love, God's relationships. Wow. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I like that fellowship, integration, relationship. Yeah, we will always have problems in this world. We don't agree with each other, but we still have fellowship with each other. We still have connections, relationships. The devil doesn't have connections with anybody. He hates everybody. The only person he loves is himself and he probably hates himself too. He's about disconnections. The devil is that red entity in the Star Trek Day of the Dove who came into the ship and pitted the Federation guys against the Cleons. He's that red guy who sucks up negative energy. Until finally Mr. Spock said, Captain, I believe there is some kind of an alien on this ship that is, that is uh, manipulating us and taking our ship to the other side of the galaxy. Mr. Spock, are you right about that? Well, the chances of me being wrong, Captain, are 5,355,227,355.6 to 1. Wow, Mr. Spock, them big odds. Captain, I don't believe that I'm wrong, so please don't insult me. There was something on that ship that was pitting people against each other, making them aggressive and angry. There is something on this planet, an entity, a destroyer, an accuser of the brethren, who said that he wanted independence from God, but has shown his true colors, that he is about to destroy the universe and cannot be allowed to rule it because he is a destroyer. He does not know what he is doing and he did not create relationships, but he's darn well near trying to destroy them all. 
because he wants to be in charge. And if he can't have it, he's going to destroy everybody else from having it too. He's that kamikaze guy. We don't have to live in his darkness because he's going to die in Revelation 20 verse 10. And he knows it because he's read it in the Bible. If we live in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. You know what the truth is. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. I love that. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What is sin but spiritual entropy? What is sin but anti-relationships? What is sin but relationship disconnect? Is there a lot of that in the world? Is there a lot of bad blood, a lot of ill will, a lot of people running around, hurting people, killing people, kids being killed somewhere? You know, you see it on the article and you go, is this for real? Is that, is that, is that what the world has come to now? Human life is just um, not trivial and not important anymore. Every human is a soul. There's a picture on Instagram and the, the parent is combing the baby's hair and the baby's just looking at him with these bright eyes. And the, oh, the baby's so cute. If my mother were alive, she would say, oh, that baby, look at that face. That face needs some kisses. I could just hear her say that. Because she used to say that about my daughter when my, when my daughter was a baby. And then I'd hand my daughter to my mother and my mother would be like a little bit too close. And then my daughter would like, <laughs> every single time. But my mother would say about my daughter, oh, that face deserves some kisses. But the point is God loves children. He loves every human soul, every soul that was ever born. Even though it was a sinner, it was still so cute and helpless. You know, just like that baby in the Instagram video, God loves and he wants us to love him back. And by default, sadly, most people don't. They don't care about God, they don't love Him, or they hate Him. He doesn't want that. He wants your love. He wants it. You know, a guy said on a video, God is a self-independent entity. He doesn't need us. I know that. You don't have to keep saying that. But that's not to say He doesn't want it. He doesn't want our love. He said to the, he said to the Israelites in the Old Testament, I'm sick of your goats. I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of your religion. I'm thinking, wait a minute. You, you're, the, you're the one who gave them all that. Yeah, it was a start to get them to think, to think about what he had done. Why are we killing all these animals? How come every time I sin, I'm killing an animal? Because God doesn't like it. You're murdering a relationship. You're murdering a life. It's a sign of what God's going to do to get us back. Somebody's got to die so he can reconnect us back to himself. Death is not pretty. What happened to Jesus on the cross is not pretty, and he least of all deserved it. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Don't you just love that? God's covering your sins. Did you ever read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith? God mentioned all these people he mentioned. He never mentioned their sin. 
never mentioned, never mentioned that Abraham was a liar or David, you know, was a womanizer. Never, God never mentions that. He just sees the good in us. He looks at us, he looks at us in Jesus, or he looks at us with Jesus in us, and he says, I only see the good. Any father loves your children. I think of my children, they're not perfect, but I love them to death. I told my daughter, I love you to the moon and back. Maybe she's thinking, oh, dad, so stupid. She needs to hear it from me because I do. I don't care what you've done wrong. You're my daughter. I don't care what you've done wrong. You're, you're my son. I'm not going to excuse your sin. If you do something that hurts other people or me, I'm going to say, hey, that's not a nice thing to do. That's not nice. I'm not going to cover that, but I still love them. They're my kids. They're not really my kids. They're God's kids. I'm just the manager. I've surrendered my kids to Jesus. I've surrendered the situation to Jesus. One day I'll see my kids again. I hope soon. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Jesus is the only perfect man. He never sinned. Um, Billy Graham preached a sermon about Jesus that Jesus was saying to all the Pharisees, hey, you boys ever see me sin? Nobody answered him a word. Jesus said, him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone to confess the woman, to, to, hit, to, to kill the woman. They all dropped their stones and left and he wrote their sins or he wrote something in the sand. They looked at it. He didn't, he didn't call them out like yelling at them. He just wrote it in the sand softly and quietly. And then he wrote it in the sand. He didn't write it in the concrete. They dropped their rocks and walked off. Does it mean what the woman did was wrong? I don't know what she did exactly. But he said, go and sin no more. Jesus did correct her, but it was a gentle correction. You've done wrong. Confess it. Repent. Acknowledge and then move on, baby. Like the Jeffersons say, we're moving on up to the tower in the sky. If you believe it, say amen. Amen means let it be so. God bless you all. Try to make it to church tomorrow. You won't be sorry. With Jesus, you'll never regret any of the time you spend with him. Take care.